0: Incredibly excited to hang out with a 757 homie. Do people say that anymore? I don't think so. Gangsta! They don't say that either. <laughs> oh heavens. Fanzo, you're probably like, what is wrong with you? This is the one and only digital futurist and ADHD superpowered Brian Fanzo. Man, I should be on a game show. Did you guys know my name Tamra came from a uh, an actual game show a week before I was born? Maybe didn't, and that has nothing to do with this conversation, but you are going to have so much fun learning about things like NFT, crypto, podcasting, international speaking, our hometown, of course. Uh, but my favorite part of this conversation that Brian and I have is about authenticity and having a superpower that is unlike what the world would secularize it as, and Impairing, impairing a lot of children, sadly, including perhaps a conversation that I, as a mother, am still navigating. And so you're going to learn about that from two different sides of the coin. And I hope that it just blesses you. I hope that you feel empowered by your unique superpower, whatever that may be. And I'm just more excited that he's like right here from my neck of the woods and we get to connect. We got connected again in, in New York City, which is really bizarre that we've never actually met in person. And I've been hearing his word and eating his family's ice cream for a really long time. That sounds weird. Oh, gosh. Stay clean, y'all. Stay stay humble. Sandbridge is where it's at. Fanzo's ice cream. Remember the days. The dog days of summer. Okay. Everyone on the same page? All right. So one and only Brian Fanzo. Yo, 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 you're on the Fit and Faith podcast, and I am with the one and only Brian Fanzo. What's up, brother?
1: Hello. I am so to excited
0: it. to have you. It's going to be fun. You guys, if you don't know Brian Panzo, then you've been hiding in a hole for about a decade because he's been around, actually two decades, really, uh, and especially if you're local to the Hampton Roads, Virginia Beach area, which I know so many of my listeners and the family and friends are, and so I'm excited to connect with a local beach boy, uh, but you've gone global in so many ways, and so from your superpower, which we're going to unpack here in a minute, and also your podcasting, which you got way into way early, which I'm excited to just pick your brain and hopefully learn from, Um, but also just your speaking career and, and the way you serve. So thanks for being here and being a superhuman.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. I know. I don't get to uh, interact with uh, not that many people in Virginia, let alone uh, 757. So uh, yeah, this will be a lot of fun.
0: It's true. And to speak to that, it's been really interesting navigating entrepreneurship in Virginia Beach with the intent and the understanding that like I feel like I'm really isolated and and people don't really get it. Even when I was going to host the event earlier this year, they were like, you can't call it a mastermind. Like Virginia Beach hasn't adopted that language. They don't really know what that means. I'm like,
1: why? Why is that? Wow. That's, um, that's interesting. I, you know, I think Virginia as a whole, you know, I live in Northern Virginia now and yeah. uh, I have said for the longest time, Northern Virginia loves to talk about Northern Virginia and DC, <laughs> but they don't like, they, they believe everyone is talking about the beltway and everything up here. Uh, and I moved to Arizona. I lived in Arizona for about seven years. And like, I was like, for me, and I will say like when I left Virginia, Uh, And I came, I came back to Virginia in 2015. So I was gone like 2008, 20, 2015. Um, I was impressed that like Northern Virginia had started to be a little bit better at like understanding like global, global side because they wanted to be like Silicon Valley and not, but I think, you know, Virginia beach is also an interesting one just because, you know, there's so much happening. So many people from there. Uh, I was actually on a Twitter space with Timberland uh, yesterday and I put on the, I put in there seven by seven because, his brother Garland Mosley went to my high school, graduated with uh, from Kellum, right. uh, and we were in a home ec class together. So I've known like that side. But it's funny because like there's all of that. Yet yeah, you're right, entrepreneur side. Even you know I've spoke at uh, some brand events, you know Norfolk and Virginia Beach, and even those events seemed very you know, I wouldn't say closed off, but yeah, they're still kind of like emerging, which is yeah. probably a good thing, right? Cause that you can help lead the way.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, it's so interesting. Whenever I leave to go into different spaces around masterminds or around any business, like entrepreneurial realm, I'm like, Oh wow. I'm not the only crazy person who thinks like this. This is great. I feel so much better about my life. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's amazing when you're like, when you get surrounded by people that are at least in the same, that same yes. space. this beautiful thing of social, I think social, you know, can get a, lot of, a lot of bad side, but like that to me, the, that is one of the best pieces is like finding your people and also, you know, recognizing you're not alone.
0: Yeah. So talk to me about like when you first entered into the podcasting realm, nobody was really doing it. Um, or if it was, it was a handful. And I would love to hear just like what led you to that, especially coming from Kellum. I mean, I'm married to a Kellum cat yes. and all my best friends went to Kellum. And I was always like, they are a rare breed. <laughs> uh, they were my best friends, but they're a rare breed. And so I'm curious, like what led you into that based on was it was anything that Kellum did or, or Virginia Beach did?
1: Um, no, probably not Kellum or Virginia Beach. You know, I I grew I've lived in Sandbridge, growing up in Sandbridge. Um, and for me, Kellum was interesting because Lansdowne, uh, high school came about, or Lansdowne middle came as well as Lansdowne high school, um, came kind of around our same area. Right. So we had, used to be Ocean Lakes, Kellum. And then of course, it's like, I ended up, we ended up knowing a lot of people because a lot of people I went to middle school with, yep. I never saw again. And yep. kind of the beauty of that area. And, you know, I went to Radford and a lot of, uh, Virginia yep. Beach, Virginia and Radford, And funny enough, like I did the radio station um, at Radford, but I was really put off on like the formalities, like the very, like, like everything had to be such a performance and process based. Um, And at the time I didn't know my ADHD was a big piece of this. Um, But uh, for me, I was actually turned on podcasting as a coping mechanism because reading has always been something, A, I don't enjoy. B, I've struggled with, you know, um, staying focused, even completing, you know, I mean, I... I loved high school. I like perfect attendance, yet I did really bad in school. My (laughs) grades were, like, I got into Radford on probation and played hockey there. And and, so, yeah, I'm I'm open about that. And so for me, weirdly enough, when I discovered podcasting, I'm not even sure the first year, I was still working for the U.S. government in cybersecurity, and I didn't go to school for that topic. And when people were turning me on to things, like, this was, like, just as YouTube started coming on, like, YouTube was so boring for tech-type content. Still kinda is. Um yeah, but sure. the but I found it was more like finding a couple podcasts then like really early that were like, oh, I can listen to this on the commute. And anyone that's lived in Northern Virginia and had a commute to the oh, pentagon, yeah. yeah, knows that. Where I had a, I had a stick shift Jeep Wrangler, which was oh, bad decisions traffic. traffic. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so um, but yeah, so like that's kind of how I, I kind of got into it from like a listening and then I remember like reaching out and like, okay, I'm going to try to start podcasting. And I'm a tech guy, computer science background. And when I got sent like the stack of things that I had to do, I was like, I'm never doing that. I will never become a podcast. I, I yeah. mean, you got to decrypt you know, your, your, your music. you got to do all these ID3 tags. Yes. you know, got up to updo it to an FTP server. And like, I was running like a very large, like $19 million a year budget at a government contractor. Wow. With a team of 39 people in direct reports. And I looked at that and was like, yeah, not happening way too complicated for me yeah. and it was probably two years of i was fairly active in social media on twitter on for pittsburgh i was born in pittsburgh so moving to virginia beach like still being able to have like my pittsburgh roots and talk sports um and it was actually through a tweet that i had put out like i really wish podcasting was made simple because i would love to start a show and someone just like kind of replied back and was like uh, hey i will i i would love to hear your take and i'll do all the tech stuff if you're willing to you know uh, send it over to me, and and we did it. It wasn't like a very. Once it was a success, it was more of like the the baby steps. But then when I realized some of the things that the the process is, I kind of just jumped in, and uh, it's it's been my mantra. It's my life is uh, you know is press the button. So uh, yeah, I've done I've done. So I just launched this past week my sixth total podcast of that. Ah, since, uh, congrats! I started, yeah. What's it and called? And this one is this one's the craziest one I've ever done. So like I've oh, done six. But- I decided to do a daily podcast. Oh, so it's called NFT 365. So it's wow. uh, around these NFTs so yeah. every single day doing a podcast episode. And I'm also minting an NFT every single day. And we're going to we're doing it like along with it. And so no, no one's done a daily NFT show and no one's oh, done wow. a daily mint. So I, um, I have a team that we're working with. But uh, yes, of course, this is day five. And right now I'm five for five. So like consistency is not my like not my strong suit. And I was like, what could really push me to like really be consistent? And I was yeah. like, well, daily sounds like it. So so far so Wow. Different. So are you
0: you're not limiting like time or anything on it? You're just saying, like, let's press play. Are right, what's your five, ten, twenty minutes? <laughs>
1: I it's really depends on that so I'm doing yeah. a little bit trendy a little bit news like yeah. I mean, the first episode was 10 the second was an hour and 2 minutes because wow. I covered what are NFTs and I really tried to like uh, give cool. example I give nine real world examples that cool. you know, NFTs can fit in uh, so that, I'm kind of playing it like that I have some interviews like I, the thing I learned in my most successful podcast weirdly enough became a solo show where I just it was just me for 40 minutes ranting on a topic that I that I wanted to talk about wow. and it was really it became selfish because Booking guests and like the managing calendars, it became like I was just like, I just wanna do so a podcast. So much easier. I, I just wanna, yeah, yeah, I just wanna like and if it, it was one that, you know, end up getting picked up and sponsored by Adobe and Oracle and and end up getting like when I would travel to speak at an event, they would say, Well, how much more for you to do your podcast live at the event? Sure. Like and so cool. like that was like a cool aspect. And so like I really feel this podcast, if I took you know, the Google plus hangout days, which I ran a, a large show there for a long while. And then my five podcasts, like pretty much all of those things, I like combined them into one. It's what I'm doing now on this one. So it's a little bit interview, a little bit one-on-one Um, and it's left so far so fun. And the feedback has been pretty amazing. So I'm pretty excited.
0: Yes. I'm so excited to listen to it. That's incredible. And interestingly, like NFTs have only come to my attention because of clubhouse and like listening in on like what people are talking about and how it's working and, I was at a Mastermind this past weekend and this lady who's an author, she's written like 300 and something books in the last three years, making seven figures, doing it, only her own publications. It's wild. She has like a a three-day series. She can write a 300-page book, not like a little tiny thing, in three days and then publish. It's crazy. In the romance sector. Very interesting. But that wasn't the point of me telling you. The point was, she was like, I wanted to get into NFT, so I bought this mermaid and I didn't know what a siren mermaid was. And so she gets this like new nude mermaid NFT. And her kids are like, what did you do? (laughs) So she's like, so if anyone wants a topless mermaid, I've got one. Um, But I think it's so interesting. And and I'm truly just learning about how these NFTs, in addition to this new metaverse and the experience of this next level um, virtual experience, you're going to have NFTs hanging on your wall in this space. Like I don't even, I can't even conceptualize it. Can you give us like a a quick, this is what it is overview?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, so what we're referring to, like, so it's like they're calling it web three or this creator economy, but really what's happening is for the last 10 years, the internet has been built where we gave all of the platforms, all of the data and all of the power. So Facebook, Instagram, you know, we're, we're using them for free. We have to remember that. And we're paying with our data and the time we spend on them. Right, and the shift is happening where there's technology, which is called the blockchain, but it really doesn't matter because no one really knows what the internet was built on, so why would we need to know what like the future is built right. on right but what what it allows us to do is remove the centralized hubs of like facebook Amazon away from them and having everything sit on this transparent what they're calling it's a it's a ledger that allows us to really store transparently and give all of us the users control of everything. So we control our data, we control who shares what, and it, and it really shifts the centralized element of like Facebook over to the users. Now it can be good. It can also be a very interesting thing where, you know, we're, we're getting a, a lot of our business, a lot of our lives were built in this like, you know, US dollar monetary transaction, right? right? Like you sell a course, I buy it with money and that's the exchange. Yeah. Yeah. The way we're moving forward where cryptocurrency nfts this metaverse and then crater coins which is what I, I plan as well the way these are all coming together is how do we create a an opportunity where the the sharing of value is not limited based on the type of money the area you live the goods and services that you provide and how do we share in ownership right like imagine this is like a great example where imagine when tesla Was like in pre-launch and they had their ubers Mm -hmm. everybody that was taking the risk on a tesla uber imagine because you took the risk and proved the concept right imagine if you had part ownership in tesla as tesla grew because ultimately that's the way it should work in a way right we we as users have for the longest time like facebook's if every user turned off facebook today they would the company would end they have yeah. literally no mechanism yeah. it, th- we've never really had a share and the way mm. that this new this new change happens is if you want to be successful in this place you set up this automatic sharing and it's it's built into the contracts it's not anything a share and, and the best example was i bought a domain in this new it's called an ens donate domain i bought it in march okay for and it's just fanzo.eth right like that's yeah. like what it was i bought hundreds of domains sure that company turned to a revenue of $125 million in these domains. And what they did is when they made it public, they said to thank everyone that bought a domain from March to Halloween, we're going to give away 25 million of our profits to all of the owners because all of you own a piece. And so I got a deposit of $18,000 for an 800 $800 domain that I bought in March because Technically, wow. my adoption helped them get that success. Wow! So what a that's gift! The, that, and that's the aha. It should be right if we yeah. think about true growth. And right. I, mean, I and you love this too because it's it is building a new digital world yeah. that allows rising tides to lift all boats. Yeah, and 100%. That is the most beautiful part. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's really amazing, and it had that like really from foundational ethics. All of that should be the case, but to know that like ethical economy is not something that generally is a a phraseology that people use, Um, but to experience it firsthand from your testimony, like that's so rad to be able to say that you were a part of it. You experienced it. It was an influx for you, but it's also going to serve that platform that much more because you're now like sold out.
1: Right. And, yeah. and they gave it to you in, in tokens. Right. So now I even have like, now I have like, you know, tokens in their company and, and the NFT side, just like, like, cause I think, you know, it, we look at the JPEG, like the, yeah. the photo that we see everywhere. I'm using it on my profiles. But really, what the beauty is, the photo, I like refer to it like the logo that's on the front of your car. Yeah, you drive a BMW. There's a the BMW is as much for you as it is when you pull in to let people know that you drive a BMW. Let's yeah, that. that's true. I, true, I'm, true. A Jeep Wrangler, I'm a Jeep Wrangler guy still to this day, oh, and that's awesome. the Jeep world is just a different world. We just yeah. we just we're we're walk through the yes. same. Yes, yes, yes yeah, the Jeep it. Wave. But so the the NFT the picture is really just, the, it's a signal of the community you belong to. But the mm-hmm. core beauty of it is underneath there, there is community. There are contracts and things that you enable. And so like, I, I mean, I was in New York and because I have certain NFTs that I purchased, I got into exclusive parties and shows that only those that had that NFT had. And so like, that's where we're moving. Like There's an element where, and I will say this, like five years from now, Every aspect of every business will have an NFT component because we've all like even your rewards, right? You go to Chick-fil-A yeah. and you get rewards. That those are just rewards to use, you know, for Chick-fil-A dollars. Right. Imagine if you were able, if you went to five Chick-fil-A's in five states and they were able to reward you something there. Now they're kind of changing this incentive where you could get an NFT from each one of them. And so that's kind of where we're moving. And I think it's a it's a positive step, but yeah. it's also it, it's gonna require a lot of uh, you know changing. And that's really where. For me, the podcast and this new project, this minting NF- every, NFT every day, people came to me and said, even if I understand NFT, I don't know where to start. I might not even have right. the money to put into it. Right. And, I, and, and it, that to me is like my like my North Star is connecting great people with great people. Like I just love that. That's and fun. I was like, well, how do I create something to, to allow that to kind of... And so I said, why don't I just buy an NFT every day for 365 days, um, which is kind of a crazy concept in the beginning with, but now people can track it, right? You can, you yeah. can act as if that's yours. You can see these trends. We can go through the hall, you know, cause things are going to dip and, and go up. Sure. But, sure. Uh, yeah. For me, part of it is I love learning in public. Yeah. I, I'm like, Hey, I don't have to know everything. I'm willing to, you know, Come learn along with me as we yeah, learn together. And, yeah. so really
0: and obviously, like you adopted the video podcasting thing a long time before most people did too, and so you're actually going to showcase what the value of, it is of that yes. NFT throughout. Oh, that's so rad! Yeah, and we're doing like a,
1: um, and we're Twitter. Twitter has really become like the NFT blockchain okay. uh, hub now, and so okay. we're even using like. The Twitter newsletter feature so every Friday a Twitter newsletter will come out recapping the seven things we we just minted that week and giving you a trend and also predicting things uh for the future so we're kind of like integrating a lot of this like I mean really in a weird way it's like it's to me it's the it's like the merging of my entire background right 20 20 it's years almost phase. uh wow. yeah, and like coming into one world so I think it's where uh, you know, it's a lot of payoff, a lot of excitement for me. And yeah. for me, I think the beauty of this is like, it's going to impact so many different ways. And and for me, the podcast, I mean, it's my favorite medium to listen. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite medium, medium to create. So it kind of fits yeah. perfectly.
0: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And then thinking through your cybersecurity background, like that's like where that evolution really goes into oh, place. Yes. It's really neat. So I want to shift a little bit because this I could go on this conversation just because I'm learning as well. And I think it's so intriguing. But there are bits of your story that I know that I wanted to deposit into the the Fit and Faith podcast community. So let's talk a bit about um, your evolution of being able to even step foot into this space very confidently. And I feel like it comes a lot from the backstory of your educational understanding. And I love that you shared at the beginning about school and being like, I was there every day. I flunked. I wasn't doing so hot, right? Yes. Um, so talk to us about like, why? What was the struggle behind that? Um, it wasn't that you weren't smart. Uh, clearly, to be able to understand NFTs and cybersecurity and all of this computer science, there's a, there's a lot of intellect that goes into that. Your IQ is really high let's hear the backstory.
1: Sure. Yeah. And you know, and I think like, for me the interesting part is since the day I left college, I have found success in every single thing I've done Yeah. yet leading up to that day that I left college, a lot of the imprint that was put on me was that why can't you do what everyone else is doing? Or mm-hmm. don't you see that they're doing? And for me, you know, I'm the oldest of three boys. Uh, both of my younger brothers are wicked smart. I don't believe they ever got anything other than straight A's uh, through high school. And I I was the kid that I I was trying really hard. I was often labeled lazy, but not lazy from the standpoint of uh, not willing to put in the work, but lazy in the sense of I wasn't willing to do like mundane tasks. And I I become bored very easily. And, and I will say like a shout out to Kellam high school. Uh, Mr. Rubin uh, was my guidance counselor. And um, he, I, I would argue saved my entire trajectory because going into my junior year in high school, um, I had a 1.2 GPA. I mean, wow. I, I, and he was like, I just want to know like, what do you want to do after high school? And I was like, well, I'll go to college. And then I'm going to figure out. And he's like, he's like, starts laughing a little bit. Like, <laughs> you think you're going to college? And I was like, well, of course, I want to be the first, like in my family. And he's like, Brian, you need like grades to do that. And I was like, you know, I was like, well, I like going to class. And I was like, I just, and, and at that point he, they kind of looped in a couple other teachers, shout out to Mrs. Peterson as well. Um, and brought in a couple teachers and they said, let's put him in AP classes. Let's put him mm-hmm. in. And I'm like, wait, I just got a D and an F <laughs> like, in, like, no. <laughs> in regular English. Don't put me in. Like, terrible like, idea. But, but they understood at that moment. And I, and you know, funny enough, it wasn't until many years later, what they understood about me. And they were like, well, Brian, you don't like, you don't like the reading part, but you have no problem, you know, reiterating all of these things and standing out in front of class. We're going to put you into AP English. And then they were like, okay, you don't like this part, but you, print journalism like I was the editor-in-chief of the school newspaper cool. and so like they they really adapted cool. my like learning and thankfully I got you know I graduated a little bit I think I was like 2.1 uh like near the back of my graduating class <laughs> yeah. and got into Radford on probation ended up playing hockey at Radford was the president of my fraternity at Radford and even Radford like I I had this feeling of well I get the I get to college now everything's going to click. Like I get my yeah. major, I get, that was not the case. So now I, have, <laughs> I get motivated to go to school, like, let alone the fact that I had to learn school. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so for me leaving school, you know, I couldn't get a job in, uh, in IT or tech, you know, right out of, I graduated in 03. Um, and I ended up working at Dick Sporting Goods and then got a job at UPS delivering packages for the Christmas hire. Uh, and I'm a competitive person. I'm really competitive. And they told us that there was 90, there's 98 um, Christmas hires and they had three full-time union positions um, that were going to be based on like a lot of these like things on like package delivered. Of course I'm competitive. So I got the second slot <laughs> of, of that, nice. uh, that plot and got brought on union for UPS. Uh, and 11 months later um, I was getting my own route and a lot of it was like, man, this job is great. Like UPS job. I mean, I was getting paid way more, almost double what all of my friends who graduated yeah. college with me. It was a yeah. really, um, but I also knew like myself and, um, I ended up in a grocery store meeting someone that saw my fraternity letters and he asked me if I knew cybersecurity. I said, no. Uh, he's like, let me ask you two terms. Did you take any of these in, at Radford? And he asked me two terms. I was like, nope and nope. But he's like, well, I like you already. You're not a liar. I was like, <laughs> and he's like, could you get a security clearance? And I said, I'm pretty sure I could. Like, I don't, I don't know what required. And I'm like, I'm trying to think of my, I'm like, yeah, I, wasn't did do anything? like yeah, I was like, what <laughs> did I do? Um, and he's like coming for an interview and Uh, my, my pay went from 98,000 to 31,000, you know, right out of college. Um, I was newly married, but no kids at the time. And I was an overnight help desk employee um, in the government. So I was like, yeah, like I'm talking about like one extreme um, to the other, but it was, you know, an opportunity to be in a new field, a new place. And really that was kind of my first feeling of like, I was always one that could work smart. Right. And I had never had a problem working hard. And so like I started to like recognize like these little things in the, in the help desk. And uh, I, a big, I guess, theme of my story has been willing to bet on myself. And so what happened was six months or so into the help desk job on a Friday afternoon, uh, the person that hired me came in and said, Hey, we just had a head of our training quit out of nowhere. The first person to raise their hand that wants to go to Korea to teach a class to, on Monday, raise your hand. And I had my hand up first. And he's like, do you have a passport? And I was like, I've been on a cruise in the Caribbean. Like, does that count? Like I literally had not left the country yet. Um, and he was like, no, but we can try to get you a same day passport. So I got a same day passport in Washington, DC wow. on Saturday, flew to Seoul, Korea, took a high speed chain down to Taegu, Korea, the entire time reading this manual to teach these, the, the U.S. You know what to do. Like, I'm answering questions on a phone call. Like, it was like, like, I knew enough to answer questions. I did not believe I knew enough to teach and that was the, that I thought that five days in uh, uh, every night, going back to my room and just studying what I would get to teach the next day.
0: Yeah, And
1: when I flew home, I came back to the office like the following Tuesday and my boss brought me in. He's like, Sit, listen on this call. And our government lead pretty much came back and said, uh, if you have Brian as the instructor, we'll go from one course a month to four courses a month, as long as Brian's doing it. And wow. uh, they offered me a promotion three levels above um, where I entered. Um, within a year, the person that hired me ended up being working for me. We grew this massive team. I ended up being there wow. for about nine years. Uh, we ran one of the largest um, software deployment uh, you know groups inside the government. I ended up traveling to 54 countries, three trips to Iraq, two to That's Afghanistan. So um, and it was just amazing. and for me, a lot of that was like, Wait a second. Like I was told, I couldn't. You know, I was not passing classes. I was the and um, and so like I did that for about nine years. And towards the end is where um, I started to recognize people would say that I had um, ADHD or ADD qualities. And it was around that time that my youngest brother got diagnosed ADHD. And I was like that, like, oh, you know what? I probably do have ADHD, but like, I'm not going to take medicine every day. And like, why does it diagnosis you know matter? Um, and fast forward a year later. Uh, my brother convinced me to go into the doctors and just kind of talk with them. And uh, it it took me, I think eight minutes into the uh, evaluation. He's like, yeah, you have ADHD at at, at a full capacity. I play on both sides of of the spectrum. Um, And I also have recently was diagnosed dyslexia, which also kind of plays into the the, uh, reading Reading. side. And for me that day, that day, other than my three daughters being born was one of the most, it was was a day I, and I know what clothes I was wearing. I know where my Jeep was parked because like I walked out of there and for the first time went from feeling broken to feeling like I was just different. And I've always, like I've always been okay being different. I mean, anyone who knew me in high school knew me as someone that was not afraid to be different, but yeah. that, that diagnosis at 31. So it was nine years ago now um, was really, I mean, it was one of those days that now looking back to school, like I, I apologize to every teacher I've ever had. Like now, like I now understand like well, who I was and what I'm about. Yeah. And, and just recently, my, my middle daughter um, was diagnosed ADHD and dyslexia as well. And so I get to now see it through my nine-year-old or my 10-year-old's eyes. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I came. And then, you know, I, I worked for the government for those nine years, went and chased what my dream job was, which was a technology evangelist, uh, kind of modeled after Guy Kawasaki and what he did at Apple. I was a huge Apple cool. fan. Um, and I really didn't want to sell or market, but I wanted to talk to everybody. That was kind of my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And that kind of turned me on to speaking. I started speaking on behalf of this booming startup and, and, you know, speaking at Amazon Web Services events and these giant events and uh, that company, that startup got bought. And the day they got bought, they came in like, Brian, this is your last day. And that's the last day I've worked for anybody else. So I've been doing this full time speaking thing now for a little over seven years and doing some podcasting as well. That is
0: so incredible.
2: I see you, sister. The dream is spinning in your soul, calling you forward, and yet the works are taking a toll. Summoned into purpose to reap what he promised. What you desire is noble and honest. Co-laborers needed to level up your fields, plow, plant, water, harvest to yield. Your vision and growth will manifest, lay your spirit to rest with all you invest. A fresh season upon you, waiting to flourish, requiring your faith and works to nourish. Are you ready to reap your harvest?
0: feel like when you when you came into that like aha moment right or that that revelation of yourself in in that higher sense that you have now had more empathy obviously towards your daughter but empathy towards people as a whole are you able to like recognize other people in your field who have that similarity
1: I would say at the start I wasn't. At the start, I was very bitter and angry mm. because I was like, How did anyone not see this in me? When they tell me that I'm like off the spectrum. And mm-hmm. once I started being a little bit more public about it, because it's kind of just who I am, everyone's like, Oh, we course we knew that. And it was like, Man, if I if anywhere along the way, from high yeah. school to college, um, if anyone would and so that 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 and I and I say that because I feel like Oftentimes when we, when people talk about like their diagnosis and where it's taken them, we kind of forget that part. There is like this, like weird and like, I'll still get it every once in a while where someone will mention something and it'll, it'll flash me back to this like amazing high school experience I had. And then I was like, Oh yeah, my desk was sitting out in the hallway mm. because I couldn't control myself to enough to huh. not talk to the people around me. But I will say without hesitation, I yeah. am empathy is like where I'm driven. I am one that I, I just don't, I don't judge. It's, and, and it's like, I look at anyone that as long as they are happy and what they are happy doing does not injure or, you know, impact others in a negative way. I'm very open and supportive. I, I, I believe I was that prior to ADHD. You know, I I was the grand marshal of the LGBTQ parade in San Francisco in 2004 as a straight white male that had just gotten married. Um, And for me, my best friend in in high school had come out to me um, who I adore was like, Oh, well, like I love her and how do we like change some of these conversations? And so I've always kind of been in that place, but I will say definitely without question, the, and the ADHD, a lot of it is what people hear me talk about now. And I get, a, I talk a lot about ADHD, but honestly it opens up and gives people permission to talk about the things that they're been embarrassed about.
0: Yeah. And that's
1: where it makes me, like I, I talk about like since, since, so now it's seven years, uh, every introduction that I've taken the stage, every single one, it says ADHD is in there. And that is very strategic in the sense that I yeah. want that to be known. And the amount of people that wait in line after I get off stage that are like, most of them have no, no uh, idea of ADHD, but they're like, my son has this, or my daughter has this, or I've suffered with this. And to me, like, that's the greatest gift that is like, Hey, the, I mean, I'm just sharing part of something that makes up, you know, what makes me unique. And the fact that it's giving other people permission is really what, you know, is the part that I think drives me the most now.
0: I feel like from a mama's perspective and you being a dad towards your daughter, I've walked through this conversation over my own son and there was a time on clubhouse that you were sharing specifically about your experience or your mom's experience and you coming out to her about this experience and asking her questions. Um, and I, I have this almost innate fear from that conversation. I remember exactly where I was. I was running around level loop right outside of Sandwich, right in your neck. Oh, of the yes. woods, right. And uh, when I heard this story and it was almost this internal processing of, Am I doing my son justice by not getting him um, into medication or even not getting him fully tested and having a couple of people mention things to me, but also witnessing his excel in school in the way that it has been, knowing your story and knowing friends' stories of ADHD who didn't have that same experience. And so would you share a bit about that just for mamas who are listening?
1: Yeah. 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 You know, and, and for me, you know, my mom is my, you know, my hero. I'm a mama's boy yes. uh, without question. And for me, you know, when I got diagnosed, I think there was, you know, in my, in my household growing up, and I think most households, especially during this time, you know, mental health was definitely not something we were talking yeah. about. Medication was not talked about right. uh, you know, at all. And so for me, even just the, like, even I remember when I tell the doctor, I'm like, well, now I'm diagnosed, I'm not taking medicine. Like I was like, yeah. I was yeah. like let's just set that straight. And you know, the process took you know nine months of going through lots of different like changing some diet, changing some things, and then it was like let's just see where medicine comes in. And uh, and I would say like over those first couple of years, I didn't even know how to talk about the things that I felt like different. It was right. it was like I just felt like comfortable. And mm-hmm. and as I started to have these conversations with my mom, there was this like revelation of wow, you know what? When when you were younger, I think you were eleven, Brian. I, you were diagnosed, like you were diagnosed ADHD. And when I went and told my friend's group, this is my mom, my mom was like, they were all like, well, only bad parents medicate their kids. Right. Yeah. And, and it was the stigma. And let's face it, not only that stigma, but then I take Adderall and Adderall yeah. became the overnight drug to, for people to take to stay up overnight and study. So like that has like a la- another layer of stigma on top of it. Yeah. Um. And I would honestly say if in my twenties, my mom had said, Hey, you should probably take be medicated for your ADHD. I don't know how. I think I would have taken it as like an insult. Like, what you think right. I'm dumb? You think I'm <laughs> like I, I would? I literally would have taken it. Totally. Like that. And so for me, when my mom said that to me at like 34, and I knew it was hard for her, and we had this conversation, and mm-hmm. and a lot of it was like, this this is how my brain works, and it's yeah. not an excuse, but it's it's evidence that the the way that school is designed, the way that even uh, our um, reward system inside of corporations yeah. is not built for neurodiverse, right? The neurotypical is the, the brains that are wired the same one way. And then neurodiverse covers a wide gamut. And, you know, I went and got my brain uh, tested um, last, it was last March. Um, and I got, I did a brain scan. We did this whole testing of like, and my, in my, on my brain itself, the two sides are flipped. And wow. so I'm a very emotional person. Like, I cry during Undercover Boss. Um, <laughs> I, I cry. I, the other Sunday, they were doing an, a story about one of the football players that was giving um, back to his local community. And I just mm-hmm. get emotional. And my, and my daughters have always known that. And this is growing up in a house with an Italian dad that I've only seen cry twice in his entire wow. life. And it was both when his dad, his parents died. Like, wow. literally the only two times I've seen my dad cry. Wow. But I was also... The kid that always smiled and laughed my dad never was a smiler like my, my right. dad's like amazing human but it's just a tough guy yeah um and so me always being emotional then realizing these things in my brain and mm. and also realizing where like where most people get like a fight or flight feeling right. i get an emotional feeling well the other side whenever other people get emotional i get a fight or flight feeling and like you start to learn these like, little nuances like one of the things that you'll know uh, about adhd is because and like especially diagnosed late right we've developed coping mechanisms sure. like really podcast listening right like sure everyone in my that worked for me thought i was the most the smartest person ever they would ask for book recommendations yeah, Every yeah. One of them. Like, <laughs> i'm like well like these books and i heard and i heard this author interviewed on this podcast yes. like, and and for me all of that was to disguise mm-hmm. i didn't want people to all of a sudden realize i was dumb right like that yeah. was like the Piece, and I will say when my daughter got diagnosed, I mean, it was a moment for me. Of first of all, like, okay, don't make it about me. <laughs> <Make> <laughs> it about her. Second, it was like, oh my goodness, I get to now witness yeah. through her age because she was nine at diagnosis what I what I probably would have went through, and I, I just started. And I went down a hole of like, what would I have wanted mm. at this point? And I will say my, my daughter is not medicated. I am, I'm medicated. I've been medicated now eight years. Um, I, my daughter is not. So I'm, I'm one that we have to figure out your own yeah. process. Um, I've tested four types of medicine. I've gone off it for six months, multiple times over the eight mm-hmm. years to try different things. And I, and almost every time I do any show, uh, and I share that I'm medicated. I get like a line of people that give me like different herbal things and like things that, I, and like, <laughs> I, and I'm one that's like, I'm, I don't believe I know what I don't know. Like, yeah, sure, things. sure. Um, but for, so for my daughter and the thing that I came up with that, if I was my 11 year old self yeah. and when I was struggling with these things that others got so easily, or when I felt isolated, even though I was very popular, right. There was yeah. like these, these elements was, I just wanted to know that I wasn't alone. Yeah, so, like someone understood me. And so like my daughter and I, we have a, we throw up a half heart um, anytime she's with her sisters or she's doing anything. And that's like her reminder, like, hey, you're, you and daddy's brain work the same. And the way that I love to position it is it definitely not a disability. Um, it, although we have to be frank for in the United States now, it is a disability for your for your Uh, company so you should report it so you can get you know things that because extra test time is is a big one right because we there's like the the pressure sensor um also that some like things like you like i was often late to class but haiti being late and there's something called time blindness that exists with those with adhd where our ability to um understand short amount of time in like like if someone's filling up a glass of water and you watch them fill up a glass of water how many seconds did that take Mm. someone with adhd they're so far their guest is not anywhere close to someone that doesn't have ADHD. And, and, and some people, these are always different shades of this, but right. I will say the, the being able to, my daughter, we always call it, a, we have a beautiful brain, right? Like that's my, yeah. my language. Like I, and I do say I'm ADHD super powered uh, because there are aspects of what I'm able to do. Totally.
2: totally. I, will
1: also, I also kind of caveat that and like, I've changed my tune a little bit because I came out about three years ago and came out and said, if I could take my ADHD away today, I would. Yeah. because it impacts, I mean, everything. My, it impacts my sleep, to my eating, to, um, you know, like, I I often forget going to bed at night to brush my teeth. I'm yeah. 40 years old. That's kind of a, <laughs> but because my brain does not look at that as a priority, because that's mm. the way my brain works, I don't do it because I want to have bad breath. Yeah. I do it because it's not important to me. It does not yeah. even, like, not even still my brain. And so I, the thing about this ADHD superpower, and I, and I made that statement three years ago, and then as I started, like, well, first of all, you can't, there's no cure for it, right? I've been right. taking medicine and I'm not cured. Right. Um, the other part of it was it has allowed me to become and like lean into the person that I am, right? Yeah. I, there are lots of things like, you know, as a speaker, you know, I'm a full keynote speaker and the way I've designed like my presentations, the way I present, a lot of that is leveraging like nonverbal feedback from the audience. It's understanding how to uh, understand energy, knowing my per- peripheral view, all of these things that I can do, that when I try to explain it to someone that doesn't have ADHD, they're like, I, I can't do all of that and know what slide I'm on and how much time I have left and what's coming out of my mouth. Right. And when I recognize that, it's like, oh, okay. Like, so like, I got a competitive I, advantage over here. I think that's the beauty. And I will say one of the other lessons is when we talk about it, there's been a tendency to be like, you have to come to us because these are the things that are wrong with us. And I believe it's about meeting in the middle, mm-hmm. right? So it's right. about helping to educate the non, you know, the neurotypical on saying, Hey, this is what we don't understand about this group. And then we also have to recognize the world is built for this one type of learning, one type of thinking, one type of of motivation. And I think the pandemic in a weird way kind of taught us that because all of a sudden people started working from home Mm -hmm. and started working in different ways and their production Mm -hmm. went up. Right. And all of a sudden you're, and they're like, wait a second, I let this employee decide their work hours and I'm only rewarding them based on what they accomplish and they're accomplishing 10 times more wow. than me mandating them 40 hours in the office. Yeah. well, it's, be- it's not because 40 hours in the office doesn't work. Right. It's just that some people's brains aren't built for that. And so I yeah. think that, to me, is kind of like the lesson out of all of this is like we just kind of have to meet in the middle and just identify some things that just aren't really built, you know, especially in the school system. It's yeah. I, you know, working with my daughter's teachers. I mean, that's it. I feel for every teacher is yeah. underpaid, underappreciated uh, in, you know, industry. My, the mother of my kids is a teacher, a uh, high school teacher, and you know, we're still working on it. Right. Even yeah. uh, talking to the parents of my daughter's friends and my daughter this weekend, this past weekend came to me and said, you know, daddy, I found two others that have beautiful brains like us. And, I was like, and she was like, but they, one of them takes medicine. And the other ones, mommy told them not to tell people. Mm. And I was like, Wow. You know, and like, for me, part of that was like, okay, now we have to understand, like, where these are. And like, how yeah. do we have these conversations? 100%. And I, that, that's the part that I, if I, I've been building this audience and community for a while. And yeah. for me, like, that's what, I, that, if, I, if I can use all of this, like the, the the influence and visibility that I do have to kind of yeah. change that narrative, then I, you know I think it'll work out.
0: Yeah, and I think like as you're talking, you're obviously a wealth of knowledge to the listeners over here. Like this is so informative and it is. Um, and I think it's because the conversation is just one that often happens only in like a doctor setting. And then it is suppressed and it is like, okay, behind closed doors, it's like you don't need to wear that badge because most people don't look at it as a badge of honor. And here you are wearing it as your Superman logo. Right. And being like, this is it. And this is why and this is how. So I think it's in in any recognition of any sort of disability or not disability, but superpower depending on how we look at it, if we talk about it more, there becomes then this opportunity for us to utilize those tools, both as parents and as the people who need it, um, and actually apply it in a new way in a new context without shame. And I think that's the biggest word like shame to me is is the one thing that I want to just obliterate. And it comes in so many ways, shapes and forms. And so it sounds like there was like so many elements of shame, even with the little ones who are experiencing that now, like don't talk about it. Well, yep. in fact, the more you talk about it, the more free you are and the more you understand and we can all understand and conceptualize together.
1: That's without question. And I will also say, you know, even as I became very vocal about my ADHD, I recognized that I didn't know my role in this ADHD conversation because I don't have a PhD. I don't yeah. have the doctor's degree. And and I will say Clubhouse is a big part of this as I had some really con- great connections yeah. that would always lean as me like, oh, ADHD and like they would kind of connect the dots and then they had put me into a conversation where I'm like, I'm not the expert. Excuse me. You need to talk to someone that has like the research or the study or whatever it may be. And it was through, like I would go to the doctors and I started doing this and I was like, what can I do to help get all of the amazing things that you're doing to the public? And they would say, you're doing it. And I was like, yeah, but like, what can I do? And like, cause I remember scrolling past uh, Facebook groups that would say like, you know, ADHD enable," you know, and I'm like, well, I got it, but like, I'm not one that can help on either side. Like, And what I found is like my role is, I I like to say, I get the right people in the wrong rooms and the wrong people in the right rooms, right? Because there's a lot of us that would never go into an ADHD room because we don't believe we have it. But if we could have a room that you talk to or you enter this room, right? You enter this conversation. Most people that maybe got an aha moment from this conversation probably wouldn't have tuned into an ADHD podcast. Mm -hmm. But now all of a sudden you're like, oh, Maybe I need to look into this a little bit more. And so that's where I found my role. And I believe anyone that when we look at our vulnerabilities, we look at the things that we struggle with. It it doesn't have to be as transparent and open as me. Like I know like that, you know, and it it has its downsides, right? There's, there are, there are elements where I will find out later, like that client didn't work with you because they understood that Mm -hmm. you might not be best at getting back to them right away. (laughs) I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Because like they came to me because I'm the best at what I do on stage. Like, you know, and like, I'm like, how do they know that? But I think mean, the other flip side of that is like the, when we, when we enable these conversations and like yeah. one of my pet peeves has been, I used to be, and I, I think black lives matter taught me this. And as well yeah. as, um, as uh, this uh, ADHD side sure. was, I often would just stay silent in areas mm-hmm. where I knew I was the advocate and I was yeah. an ally and now I do not. And like, mm-hmm. in if I'm in big rooms, so I was good. in, I was in like one of the, I mean, I was in one of the largest probably investor calls I've ever been a part of as yeah. an investor. And twice, um, within like a 10-second period, someone's like, oh, my ADHD squirrel brain's all over the place. Like, you know, we all have ADHD. Mm -hmm. And I immediately was was like, can I cut it in real quick? And the whole thing was like, why is that guy with the hat talking? (laughs) And I was like, I'm just going to put this out there. This isn't even a shot. I was like, this is an education. Yeah. Every time we say we think everyone has a little ADHD, or we say squirrel Mm -hmm. brain, it makes, even if no one in this room identifies, they take that conversation out. And that means... When we hear everyone has a little ADHD, then all of a sudden you're like, oh, well, what I've got isn't that big of a deal and I'm not going to get help and not going to understand it. And right. like, I always caveat, like, everyone has a little bit of time struggling to focus. That's yeah, true. Sure. But that doesn't mean you have ADHD. ADHD right. often is, like, in that focus realm is we struggle to focus on things we want to do and things we don't want to do. Yeah, Most people struggle good. to do the things that they don't want to do, right? It's yeah. like, I can't focus on this, like, doing my taxes. And you're like, mm-hmm. I must have ADHD. <laughs> you're like... No, that it's not how that works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So like for me, I would, I would encourage, you know, transparency. I don't believe is the, is as much the answer. Like for a while I kind of leaned in that because yeah. I know that's scary for a lot of people, right? Like yeah. I do wear it like a scarlet letter because I will put it out there because it just, it's, yeah. I'm so comfortable now. Yeah. But I will say if you have an opportunity, small circle group, a text circle, and someone makes a comment or a, a layers a piece of bias over something that you are familiar with, I think it's a perfect opportunity to step up and educate. And I tell people, hey, this isn't about saying that we're all like we all are linked. It's just about what that phrasing of we all have a little ADHD could yeah. possibly impact on so many different people. And so like that to me has been like it's been finding that like, like, OK, where can I fit? Where can I help? And like I'm now included on studies with Harvard scientists that have been studying ADHD for 15 years. And they're quoting me <laughs> in their research, which is like. How did this all happen when I was so the kid cool. at 31 that was just like, oh, thank good I'm not broken? Like, I've been yeah. feeling broken for a long time. So, it's like, well, amazing. I think
0: the, the difference is in and abnormal to most people, no different than you being an early adopter in the realm of, of digital. You're, you're willing because you're curious, and your curiosity has actually been a part of your biggest asset. Uh, and I think it's just it's really cool to see. It empowers me um, from the perspective of wanting to support people in that realm. My husband always claims that he's ADHD and just never you know, found out about it um, because he sees everything that my son is going through and is like, I was the exact same way. I was the exact same way. And so ultimately, the person who originally um, mentioned it to us was the, his learning specialist who uh, is a specialist around dyslexia. And she said, I would really just encourage you. She said, at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with the medication or not the medication. It has to do with it. If you could find out something more about your son, let's say somebody was talking about your son. And they're like, Cooper, you would immediately be like, I'm sorry, what did you say? What's happening? Like mama bear, right? And so if you could learn more about this human that you've created, that is actually not created by you fully. And there's things that you don't know, even though you think you know everything, why would you not? And so I think that it's, it's a powerful tool on every realm. Mental health is the same thing. You're depressed, you're anxious. You have all of these different emotions. You have traumas from your past. Why would you not want to unpack it so that you can utilize it as a tool rather than it being a weight?
1: Yeah, Without question. And part of it is just identifying it. Right? Like I don't yeah. have an answer to a lot of it, right? Yeah. A lot of, but I will, I will now feel, I will feel a scenario and go, this is, this is it. Now at that yeah. moment, there might, I might still make the same decisions I've made for 40 years, but at least at that moment now I'm recognizing, right? I'm I'm starting to kind of like feel that, that part as well. And I think there is, you know, we, the conversation is changing. I mean, if you look at social media now, the amount of ADHD conversations that are happening is mind blowing. And a lot of it became, oh wait, we were all light diagnosed. We all had these other things. And there was elements, like, I remember, you know, the idea that like my daughter was getting A's, they're like, why would you test her for ADHD? She's Right.
0: Right. And and like, that's, yeah. You
1: know, and, it, and it's like, okay, well that doctor is using research from 1970s yeah. that, that was, that was you know, kind of led up to that. Right. And there, and there's elements for like, even like when we with my daughter, part of it also is understanding how to set them up for the scenario yeah. the right way. Right. Like it's, I'm not, I'm not oftentimes changing the end result, yeah. but going into it, I'll be like, Hey, just so you know, mm-hmm. these are the people that are going to be here here's one of the things that you want to think about and you know here's your outlet if you and like cuz those little things and like i am massively extroverted massively loud and proud but in forced uh you know conversations and forced networking events i am the most uncomfortable human there is and a lot of that is the adhd of like am i being judged what are people going to say about me like mm. you know, like it's even where like i on my podcast and on my speaking you know i say i talk fast and i tweet faster <laughs> and people are always like it's a great like line i'm like But it's a disarming line because if I tell you that I talk fast, nobody ever complains about me talking fast. Therefore I can continue to talk fast and not feel guilty on it. But before, when I would hide it and no, I was every every comment on my YouTube videos were all, could you slow down, you talk too fast, right? It was like I got a lot to say. My brain's working really fast. I just Turn it, I it on the low, like 0.5 status, right? At two, I sound like Mickey Mouse. Like you, you literally do not want to do That's All
0: awesome. Yeah. Really, really cool. And I, I am such an audible learner. Um, I think it's such an amazing way. I think social audio is surely a component. I mean, we've been doing social audio via podcasting, but yes. having this component of conversation um, the way that Clubhouse, the way that Wizard, the way that all these places are doing, is so is so neat. What would you say as a final question? Is you're the digital futurist, right? Like, what do you think is the future? What's coming that could be a blind spot to somebody like myself, other than the NFT conversation?
1: Well, I think if we unpack the social audio a bit, yeah. what social audio is enabled, right? Like yeah. my one year anniversary on Clubhouse was uh, last week, yeah, um, and it was fun sitting there, you know, on that day, right? So November ninth was the first day. I was, and I was thinking about, wow, November 9th last year, like what, how my world changed. Yeah. And a lot of it was like, I'm, and I'm like massive advocate for social media. Yeah. I mean, I'm on every channel, yeah. but I've also understood and, and really Clubhouse opened it up. And it's a, and this is where the bigger conversation is, is that we lacked serendipity mm. on social media, right? Mm. The idea of where do you go to discover people that that care about the things that you care about, that are motivated to do the things you're motivated to do about, but you have no common friends or common interests. Like there's not like a, and like, how do we walk into each other's worlds, right? Even you and I connecting and then realizing, I was like, wait, Gary, like like, like, last name. And I was like, wait a second. This can't be be right. And and like, we went from clubhouse to New York, right. To be an in-person event, which is another, another aspect there. And like, for me, the beauty of serendipity online requires two things. It requires an opportunity to go into places that we might not have previously gone, which I would yeah. challenge everybody to do. The second one is we have to take ownership of telling our own story. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say we have a lot of people that want the world to be a more empathetic place, yeah. but we oftentimes think that it requires us to make others be empathetic. And I would argue if you can be more transparent, more open in your storytelling and you allow people in to be empathetic towards you and each one of us do that all of a sudden the world's becoming a more empathetic place because he can be empathetic towards us. And so like, to me, like when I started telling my clients about having ADHD and anyone that knows me at two forty PM every single day, my alarm goes off. It's when I yeah. have to take my second medicine, my daughters even know it. The interesting part of that is it gave me a freedom yeah. that was like, Hey, I can be myself. I can lean into who I am, and then when once that happens, now the doors is open. And say, who can I connect with that yeah. I might have not have been before? And so much of my world, like I mean, I have half a million followers on social media, and in a little app that was really just a phone bridge conversation with little icons, right? That's, yes. that also yeah. Like clubhouse wasn't anything, not anything fancy. <laughs> but that app opened, allowed me to go into conversation spaces with people that didn't know me, didn't yeah. I never heard of me, yet we share these common interests, yeah. and it was like. And like, that's real community. And so I've said this for a while. I, I believe community is the future of business mm. and community isn't a Facebook group. Community isn't just an email newsletter list, right? Community ultimately is people coming together, not because of the people, because of that shared purpose and that common passion for an outcome. And so I look at like the future, even, at, you know, I'm like the, a tech guy, but like, what I like to say is like, I help audiences find the harmony between tech and humanity. And I'm a big believer that like that harmony between tech and humanity exists within community. And we're going to see new opportunities come up like this metaverse conversation. Yeah. And it might sound foreign, yeah. but the idea of keeping a mobile phone on us all the time sounded foreign. Yeah. The idea of using PayPal to send money, yeah, crazy idea, right? Like yeah. signing documents online, why would we not fax them or go into an yeah. office? All of a sudden we sign everything online. All of these shifts I believe have been interesting. I believe the next five years that we're going to shift the power away from big corp, give more power to great creators. And we're all going to find ways to kind of grow these communities organically together. And so that's where I think we're moving. I think that's the the beauty of all of this. And you know, I, I, I love, I mean clubhouse is is such an interesting um, concept because coming out of a pandemic and desiring connection and everyone wants to feel like you, like you said earlier, not alone, but you have your people. Yeah. And so I challenge anybody. If you want to feel less alone and find your people, it requires you to own what you know and what you don't know, and put that out to the world. And when you do, I think that's when all this magic happens.
0: I love that. Own what you know and what you don't know. Like I'm all, I'm all in. I'm all ears. Yeah. I'm all mouth. I'm all things. But we have to learn in that, right? Like there's yep. a speaking piece, which is the desiring and developing your own self empathy and your ability to be vulnerable while also receiving. At the same time it's been awesome getting to know you more thank you so much for being here i can't wait to share this with all of our our friends here locally and abroad and i hope eventually to be in a space again with you it'll be awesome
1: yes we're gonna hang out in person for sure thanks yeah, so much for Ryan, have a blessed day great right, cheers
0: hey y'all it's me again i hope in today's episode you sense an ignite to an ember within you Something mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually moving that creates and sustains a fire within your journey. Before you go, let's solidify the flame. I'd love for you to take a step right now in declaring your takeaway. By snapping a pic of the episode you tuned into, share your sparked moment and tag me at Faith underscore podcast or me personally at tamra.andress on Insta. I hope that I can keep you accountable and also share you with the greater community of the Fit and Faith podcast listeners.